Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a podcast for everyone who's fascinated about how our minds work, mental health and all things therapy. Ask the Therapist is hosted by me, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse, cognitive behavioural therapist and author of the CBT Journal. I've over 20 years experience of working in the field of mental health and I hope to educate, entertain and simplify all things mental health and therapy. So sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. In this episode, I talk with a relationship coach, Barry Price, who lives over the pond in sunny LA. We connected a few months ago on Instagram and I was intrigued to interview Barry because who doesn't like to talk about relationships? And he works in a very specific area. He works with powerful women. And I was intrigued. Barry says... I have a gift for helping powerful women. This gift began with my mom, who was a powerful woman and who gave me empathy. She used to come home from dates and an eight-year-old Barry would give her dating advice. We lived through her relationship experiences together and that's why I understand the experience of dating as a single woman. So his motivation came through watching his mum have a hard time in the dating arena. And as a man who has certainly done his share of dating, he knows the minds of men and he talks openly about the different relationships he has had over the years up to meeting his wife, Anna, who's now been with for 15 years, happily married. Barry talks about how ultimately the relationship you have with yourself needs to be the most established and fulfilled. And then this translates into the shape of your relationships with others. I do hope you enjoy the episode and to make sure you get alerted when an episode is released, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Reviews are also warmly welcomed. Hope you enjoy. So welcome to the podcast. Could you just start off by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and your career journey so far? Yeah, my name is Barry Price and I'm a relationship expert for powerful women now starting to work with some conscious men as well uh, to help awaken kind of the that masculine consciousness to a healthier level and really honestly i was designed for this more than more than choosing it it chose me um i wore a lot of different hats uh in my 20s sort of tried out different corporate jobs and none of them were a fit the way this was a fit. You know, I my earliest memories in my life were having my 10-year-older sister with me yeah. when I was very, very, very young. And uh, and then when she went off to college, it was just me and my mom, single mom. And she's a very strong, successful, you know, charismatic woman. Yeah. Uh, and so she would go on dates, right? She would attract guys who could own a room when she walked into it. And, and she had uh, this vibrant dating life. But being the eight-year-old kid along for that journey I also kind of had to automatically be the BFF in a way so it would be like you know it's Friday night she's getting her hair done her nails and she's ready and excited do I wear the black dress do I wear the red dress you know and I'm trying to just catch up at eight years old I'm like well I don't know what are you trying to say are you in a playful mood are you demure what is he like I'm trying to sort all this out yeah and then she'd come home and sit down at the kitchen table and it was me and her so let's talk about the date how did it go you know you did he pull the chair out for you what kind of restaurant did he take you to is he divorced did he you know all of these things and then I also got to witness you know right away like was she still excited was she a little disappointed what did it look like by Wednesday if he hadn't called what did it look like by two weeks later if she was excited because they'd gone on two or three more dates and hope you know maybe finally now you know I have the the right guy 
And then there were some relationships, you know, and I was on that roller coaster through all of it. And there's nothing you want more than to see your mom happy and feel fully loved. And I just witnessed how much it emotionally affected her and Mm -hmm. honestly, like stole a lot of her power and light from her when men would let her down or disappoint her. And it was it was painful for me. So I always like to say, like, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I have almost 40 years of experience Mm. of what it feels like to be a woman on the dating and relationship roller coaster because just the empathy of living through that with her but not at that time having any power or control to do much about it yeah you know so all this empathy and nobility to do and then you know my for myself I was a shy nerdy guy in high school so all boys school too so I had no chops in terms of like how to meet girls or get a girlfriend and then I go to college and I selected a college specifically to be very social. And I went crazy. I went right. the other way. So it was just, you know, studying. Forget studying. Like, <laughs> you were dating, were you? Yeah, I just want to learn how to relate to women. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm a 23-year-old virgin. I wasn't thrilled about it. It was like third-year college. I'm like, this is bullshit. I don't know if I'm allowed <laughs> to turn up. It's too late now. But, I mean, that was the level of frustration. I probably even used worse words than that at the time. Yeah. But I find... Oh, in my 20s, I figured out how to be a little more confident with women, but it was at a surface level still, right? I knew how to right. act to the part. So I had all of the, I became a player and I was a commitment phobe and, and all these things. And then in my yeah. late 20s, I just reached a point where I was like, man, this is not, I, I don't feel content deep right. down. So like quantity of dating women is not doing it. So that's when I started to really get more serious about looking at myself and what was really going on with me emotionally. And I've been with Anna now for 16 years. Now. Wow, so congratulations. I, I've experienced all three versions of yeah. a guy. You know, and when I'm, you wanted to make uh, that shift, it was, it's interesting that you say you started to look inwards instead of because di- uh, I guess some men might start dating different types of women. But you well, just- yeah, I, d- I didn't have that excuse because I dated every type. Like, <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I tend to be a person who goes all in on anything I do. Right. So in, in that sense, I tend to be a little hesitant, reluctant to go into something because if I'm going to go in, I'm going 110%. I remember a point in college where I had to check in and I was like, I've been drunk seven nights in a row. And I was like, I need to make sure I'm not alcoholic. And so I took three months off of drinking over a whole summer in college and learned how to go out and not lean on alcohol to be around people. But my point being... I did the same thing with women. I got to where I met a girl in my yeah. late 20s. I was like, let's go on a date. How about Monday? Can't, because I already had a date with another woman. How about Tuesday? Can't. I went through every day of the week. There wasn't a day. I had seven women I was dating. Now, they all knew I was dating. You know, we were, none yeah. of us were monogamous. Yeah. But nonetheless, right? I was like, Barry, what the fuck are you doing? How many is enough? What do you need, 10? Maybe 20 women will make you feel loved. Maybe 30, maybe 300. How many do you need, buddy? And I was like, it's clearly not a quantity solution here. So that was the moment for me was the, the, the berry takes it to the edge of the envelope and then realizes, wow, this is not a solution. Like the, the excess of it, the extreme of it was not working. So I started to really have to look at myself because like you said, date another type. It's like, date, how many, how many different mm-hmm. women I try on for side before I realize it's me? 
that's where that that started. Oh, but we haven't got to why I'm a relationship coach. It's a long, it's a long scenic route. So I ended up getting into life coaching and just very quickly, even though I thought I was going to help shy guys learn to be confident with women, I really didn't hire me. And they convinced me that, look, you seem to understand and just get it. Like you say things that are what are going on in my head. Like how do you understand what I'm going through? I'm like, I guess because I lived through it with my mom so much. Right. I want to give them a male point of view. And and that's it. I mean, for ten years now I've been doing this. It started off with dating coach. Let me right. soulmate. I was talking to Maria Schreiber about this last year. Uh, yeah. as a powerful woman who became single again, I said, Have you found it's tough as a powerful woman to date or find a guy who can mm-hmm. quote unquote handle you? She's like, Absolutely. Right. We were talking about how men are either intimidated yeah. or they want to get with that person and then they're insecure, so they want to dim her light, so that they don't feel like lesser than her while they're with her. Right, yes. Helping powerful women with that dance of how do you get a guy who can dance with you and still be confident in himself, but not try to reduce you. And then a lot of my clients were successful in getting relationships and getting engaged and getting married and in long-term things. So I, I knew I, I needed to add my relationship coaching skills. So I'm trained as a life coach. I'm also in Esther Perel's professional training group, the, the marriage and family therapist. So I have clinical tools I use too. And that's what I do now. You know, I have a podcast, kind of like how you're doing this podcast. Yeah. It's like, how can I leverage what I know so more people can get, get at it and use it and apply yeah. it? I like to do my a daily one so they can use it as much as possible. Right. Yeah. But that's where I'm at today. Right. And can you, can you just go over what the difference between a therapist and a coach is from your perspective? This is really, really great. And it's yeah. something I'm honestly still learning about. Part of what I love about Esther Perel is she's created a, a very all-inclusive community where we used to be in these silos where the therapeutic world was in its area, the coaching yeah. people were in, in our building over here, and then yeah. there were the educators over there, right, the academic psychologists and educators and people who ran, and every no one was interdisciplinarily talking and helping them. And we all have this same passion for helping yes. people yeah. emotionally. For developing, for for healing, so it's it's a great forum, and we talk about this, mm-hmm. and it's helping coaches understand therapists, helping therapists understand coaches. Yeah. Uh, I have a few acquaintances I've made through there that are therapists considering becoming coaches, right? Considering becoming therapists. So yeah. here's my understanding of it, and okay. by no, and I'd love to this to be a discussion kind of point more. If anyone wants to kind of add their perspective yeah. in whatever way you you do that with your community. But from my perspective, I have to say even this has changed. I came into it as someone who's had therapists of several types, also done inner child workshop stuff, like all as a participant, right? Yeah. Uh, I've Robin's coaches, so I've had like life coaching. I've had multiple types of life coaches. I've yeah. had an anti-therapist who kind of came out of uh, self-developed therapist tools from a, a psychotherapist, Phil Stutz, Barry Michaels, who developed the tools. Like I've yeah. done it all on myself. Yeah. An Ayurvedic shaman I went to for a lot of stuff here. I went to the West Coast, right? I was like, I'll try anything and everything, and I keep what yeah. works, and I pack it along. My perception when I got into coaching was that therapy, and this was what Stutz found, and it's why he developed the tools. He said, I became frustrated that we didn't always meet people where they were at and just what they needed today functionally to get something, to, to handle something today without over commitment to always needing to go back to family of origin and childhood like you said i just found that it was more process than person priority 
Like the process is always right, regardless of what the person is saying. Right? Yes. Yeah. So that was so rigid and clinical mm. that despite a lot of the clinical tools being super powerful, it just didn't feel like a match for my personality because I tend to blend. Mm. I love structure and process. It's why I want clinical tools and why I love Esther Perel's training. Yeah. But I also feel like intuitive is very important, right? So I like to honor that. So I find that the coaching side, that's kind of like the drawback of the therapeutic side. I, I feel like the strength of the therapeutic side is better training, better vetting, more accountability, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of the, the oversight, because this brings us to coaching. The, the strength is the weakness. Right. It's a more free form. It's a little more intuitive. You can be in the moment to what that client needs and customize it. You can be more pragmatic and practical, really in like this is you know you need to have a conversation with your guy and this is what's coming up for you how do we get you to be able to have that conversation with him tonight yes yeah opposed to yeah. what happening family of origin when you were four five six seven you know so it, you can get you get there faster i think yes. there's a speed thing in it that i really love where, where yeah. therapy might slowly melt the iceberg over 10 years yeah. in some way I mean, like, it sounds quite similar to cognitive behavioral therapy because it, in that way, I mean, I do do some work where I go back with people, but generally I work in the here and now, getting them the tools to kind of change stuff now and what strategies. Instead of unraveling the Gordian knot, you're cutting it. It's like, let's yeah. just get the result. Now, I think the drawback in coaching yeah. is you can become so result and outcome focused that you're always just working on the surface life hack of getting the result done. But you have to address, like if you keep addressing the smoke and never the source fire. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. How to go back and do some of the old, like, where did it start? Where did it come from? We just don't want to live there or we yeah. don't want to always lead with that. So let's lead with present day life. And when the things we're doing here aren't sufficient, I think it's important to be able to go back to that plus unregulated i do have some issue even as a coach who made his own bones coming in with the self-anointed nature of it is a little troubling to me in that how do people know who they're yes, getting it's a confusing the world out there isn't it there's snake oil salesman there's going to be people who just hang up a shingle you know yeah. i give good advice so i'm a coach it's like ooh, yes this this troubles yeah. me a bit Absolutely, absolutely. But I know you've got some really good testimonials on your website. And I think that's a very powerful way to help people make choices, isn't it? To kind of get as much information out there about what you do, your training, your background, and people need to really kind of do their research. Like look for someone who's like, oh, that's someone similar to me, or they have, they have my challenge. Like see how they... I have to admit, though, I'm terrible about getting testimonials up and out. I've got such a backlog of people who I should yeah. by now... Like my business coaches it's like, dude, what are you doing? But my gift is uh, making change with people. I don't wake up in the morning jazz to try to like do technical stuff to get a video interview recorded. Like that's not my, my joy in life. So I tend to delay the testimonials, but totally you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. And do you find that you've been doing it a long time now that people are coming to you with common issues? Oh, like patterns. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let me break it down into yeah. the buckets of people I see generally come to yeah. me. Okay? Okay. So it's really important that you have self-awareness on where you are at in your journey of being single in relationships before you reach out to the right person to help you. So typically, here are some of the people who would come to me. I was doing single clientele, right? Mm. It was either um, I just got out of something that was 
really, really, really got my hopes up, but it crashed and burned exactly the same way previous ones crashed and burned. I thought I finally had done it differently. Turns out I didn't. Clearly, I have a pattern. Like that's when there, it always starts with a moment of humility, really, honestly. Mm. Uh, I attract a lot of high achievers who are really smart and independent, right? Like we have a self-identity and I know how to take care of myself and stuff. So it's like against a lot of instinct to reach out and say, I don't know please help me super against instinct for the powerful women that I work with. So literally things have to get bad enough first. And I was this person too, right? My first therapist said to me, Barry, you're smart enough to keep me out all summer here by intellectualizing. So, or you can be vulnerable, open up and receive my help. So there's a choice that has to happen. It has to get bad enough first where you're like, I know now I'm the common thread in all of these relationships and I'm seeing, so I need to look at me. So that moment, then there's, the, the person who's just met someone and they're like, I don't want to blow this up the same way I have before. And usually they've done a bit of self-work. They've tasted a little bit, even if it's just online, like Tony Robbins-y stuff, Brene Brown, whatever. It is, they've, they've gotten a little taste. Mm-hmm. Then there were the people who were like, I have an on-again, off-again thing and I just can't seem to like quit this guy. I can't keep it ended. Those people would come in to like, I really need to clean up this boundary. I need to, this either needs to progress or I need to not let him back in. That's a very tough pattern, isn't it? I think I see quite a few people that suffer with that, where there's there's some kind of hook that keeps them going back to something they know is really unhelpful. It can take years, years and years. It'll steal years, decades sometimes for some people. So getting that taken care of so you can detox and clear the free space to actually have a healthy partner show up. So that was like stage one. Then as I got more and more into people who were in relationships... Some of them because they found relationships with me and through my help, they are encountering now the level of insecurity and fear and hidden subconscious stuff that comes up as intimacy increases. Uh, On a first date, you can't have your heart broken as much as if you've been living with someone for four years and think he's going to propose and he doesn't. There's a different level of emotional attachment here. So as the emotional stakes got higher, right? Some of those clients, right? How do I cohabitate? Mm. A lot of this always comes back to my needs versus his, losing myself in relationships. I'm a powerful woman, except around men, and it drives me nuts. Mm. Like it pisses me off. I'm mad at the part of me that can't be as successful here as in other things. And then just how to hold yourself in those relationships, be a powerful woman, but not dominate the relationship or need control. Right, because then you lose respect for the guy, and then there's no passion, and then he's impotent, and then dies. You have chemistry with someone else, and also not to just go for the chemistry and drama over and over again. So, how do I have a healthy relationship? How do I continually practice self-care while in a partnership? How do I say no with love? How do I hear no from a guy when it's loving and self and, and respectful, as opposed to feeling like there's fear of abandonment? So, all of these kind of things, right? And then sometimes it's I know I need to leave this relationship and end it, but I'm having trouble. My clients in marriages that are, have been dead for years emotionally, oh, but they just can't let go of it, right? So that kind of thing comes up. What I'm beginning to get really curious about, and I think yeah. there's, God, I would love to do more work in now, yeah. is I, I had this subset of people that was very much like their relationship experiences were so painful that it was like, I just want to break from the whole goddamn thing. Like, I don't even want I don't, I don't want to even, it's, I just want to focus on me, right? That's the quote. That's the, I just want to focus on me, on myself. Yeah. And what I found with it is, 
there's a healthy and unhealthy instinct in it usually. The healthy part is you've been so enmeshed or affected by the way you react. It's not just the man, it's the way you're reacting to relations, the fear they'll leave you, the anger, the attachment. It's, it's what it does to you that you can't handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want to break from the effect dating relationships or, or being single but hoping for one. Mm. You've no relationship for five years, but you're it's hurting because you haven't given up on it. So giving up on it can feel freeing, like I'm just you're gonna be with me. But there's a certain degree in that of I, I jumped in a swimming pool, I almost drowned, it was scary or harm, it was horrible. I'm just not gonna go in the water anymore. There's a certain degree of avoidance that can be motivating it too. Yeah. Oh, it's a healthy me time when you're spending that time looking at why those relationships didn't work for you, looking at yourself, doing therapy, coaching work, work, taking swimming lessons, because long term, you know that if you knew it were going to be healthy for you, of course, you'd want a great partner and a great relationship. So the when the I just want to focus on me and take some time to myself, I want to break from dating and relationships mm-hmm. when it's motivated by I just know it sucks when I'm in them or there's no return on investment. When I put this much focus and time into my career, I get promotions, money and awards. But when mm-hmm. I put it into relationships, I get p- disappointment or pain or whatever. Yeah. And that's just avoidance if you're taking a break without looking at it. And what will happen is you're going to go two years, five years, seven years. I had one client come in. She said, for 17 yeah. years, I've been in self-imposed exile from it because that's how painful those previous relationships oh, were. Gosh. Yeah. So ever without human touch. I, I want I want to have a sex life again. I want to be held. I want a partner who if I've had a good day I can share it. If I've had a bad day, they can be there for me. But yeah. she had nothing in those 17 years to get any better at it. 17 years where you could have been getting ready, getting healthy. So I think that next frontier for me mm-hmm. is celebrating that me time can be a healthy process of getting ready for a healthy relationship as opposed to a self-imposed exile from yes yeah what kind of things would you get people doing during that time where they're looking at themselves and it's yeah. kind of a healthy and motivated by kind of self-care that they're looking at themselves and giving themselves some time well first of all it's going to depend on where they are on that spectrum of yeah. uh, how trauma is because there's different amounts right like if you're freshly out of a long-term extremely abusive relationship that's very different than if you've had a series of shorter relationships that the guy ended up cheating on you or something and it hurt but you know not as heavily traumatized as the person who was being daily abused in multiple ways Mm. so the first thing i'd say is you know early on i was trying very hard to partner up with someone to offer some some kind of volunteer work with uh, women coming out of those kind of relationships. And what I discovered quickly in talking to some of those kind of safe havens and, and organizations yeah. work with them is there's a point that's just too goddamn early. Really. Yes. Yeah. It's just early. They just need its survival mode mm-hmm. and safety. And the last thing they're thinking about is ever being close to a man again, let alone working with a guy who's talking to them about it. Like there's just... So if you're freshly traumatized and it's extreme, it probably is a time to mm-hmm. completely give yourself that permission to be like, dating? What are you joking? Not in a million years right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. That's 
totally like not even as an idea to be thinking about and yeah. working on so uh, i think there is like a too early part yeah those okay. people though who aren't in fresh trauma they've done some healing already they have a little space from it either time or emotionally and they're like you know what i'm aware i don't want to be alone forever but i also don't want to repeat my past relationship path typically what people will do is start with a little self-investigation of listening to podcasts like this, right? Reading yeah. books and they're watching YouTube videos of experts online and us thinking in contemplation about, well, how does this apply to me? What can I take from that? I think more structured, a commitment you can make to a process with that, the better, even in your self-work, like uh -huh. doing a workbook, like you've talked about a workbook. Yeah. Look, if you're someone who follows Sarah already or you feel like a rapport with her, know, like, and trust is a, a term that we hear. It's like you have to yeah. know and like, like them, you relate to them, you trust them. Then instead of just listening to the podcast, when this workbook kind of idea goes, and I hope I haven't let the cat out of the bag, you haven't launched it. No, are you talking about the CBT journal? That's yeah, out absolutely. available. Absolutely. And I think it's like get a workbook for it. Get a thing where you're also doing the lifting. I guess my point here, Sarah, is – at a certain point, that's that uh, sniffing around it and beginning to dip your toe in has to go from passive to active. Yes. And that's one of the things that one of the reasons I created the journal is because um, not everybody is ready to come to therapy. There's a process right. that goes on before. So you can start that through kind of your own journaling is, is one way. Hmm. You've got to respect it. Now, understand yes. that when we come out of disappointment, pain, like all these things, yeah. we're going to tend to actually delay. We're going to take too long before we usually are willing to move into actually getting the help. Yeah. In our head and a really good one that, well, I just need more time doing the self work. It's like usually we'll, let's say we need two years doing it. We'll take six kind of thing. Feel safe. It's comfortable, right? But the, the longer you stay in the comfort zone, yes. the longer you to heal. Now, you also don't want to, like you said, you don't want to force yourself too far out of the comfort zone so it's traumatic for you. There's some things no. that you touch too fast. you got to find the edge of your comfort zone. But I'm telling you, if, it's, if you've made it easy on yourself to explore this healing around relationships and love and men and, and your own issues, if it feels really, really comfortable, you're probably doing it slower than you could be. And you probably want to find that edge of the comfort zone where you're a little uncomfortable. Not a lot. A lot's too much. But when yes. you're starting a little uncomfortable, like, like I've had these, the workbooks I pick up and I see what the chapter's on and it's got to yeah. exit, go through all of the people in your life. I'm like, ah, <laughs> It's like, oh my God, okay, I'll get back to that after lunch. Kind of, so it's like that. It's like, okay. And then you're going to hit a certain point where another workbook, another podcast, another webinar, whatever, is not significantly moving you forward. It's a way of using an excuse to reassure yourself you're doing something about this area when you're doing things that aren't having an impact anymore or they're having just like an incremental. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah. Like going to the gym, doing the same workout with the same level of treadmill and the same level of weight and never, ever, ever, ever increasing it or making it yeah. harder for years. So you'll just, you're, you're not going to grow this way. You grow by trying to do what you haven't done yet. Yeah. And just nudging yourself constantly in that direction of where you want to ultimately be. I find life events, hitting bottom, getting fed up is a really useful thing. People tend to come to me timing-wise because something's happened. 
my mom finally died and I've been taking care of her. She's been sick. She's she's gone. Yeah. And it was a year ago, so I've kind of grieved it and it's time for me to now I wanna right. So I'm gonna start yeah. doing the work. Or yeah, the divorce is over and now it's time to right. Or my kid very popular one, the kids yeah. are like in high school and they're getting close. I can see the end of the tunnel now. They're going to be gone in two, three years. What the hell am I going to do? I'm going to be alone, right? I'm in this relationship and I can't, I just can't take it anymore. I'm done with this. You know, I can't. So there's always that moment where Mm -hmm. no more done with it. This has to happen now. That's how you know it's time for you to reach out to someone. Right. Because I've been on thousands of calls. So I know the people who are nowhere close to ready. I know the people who've gotten on with me and are close to ready but not quite ready and the people who are ready the people who are literally like beyond ready they've waited too long and they're like let's get going and it's that it's this has to happen now has to i cannot afford to delay anymore i've lost too much already it just sounds absolutely fascinating. It's a bit like a temperature gauge, isn't it? Too hot and too, or too cold and, and getting it right for that mm-hmm. point to reach out and, and start making some changes. What kind of things do you get people doing when you feel that they're at that right point to start kind of dating again? What do you encourage them to do? You know, it's a little dependent again, obviously, on the goal. Yeah. Here's what I, I've learned in the doing of this. What yeah. we like to hear, what people respond to is the external stuff. Right. If you tell them, oh, I'm going to teach you the one secret to an easy way to meet great men. Like me even saying that, I guarantee there's people listening going, are you going to tell us what they want to hear? <laughs> that we have a craving for. And yet I know like I know like I know. And I knew this before I started, which is why I was already good at it. But I've gotten better through the experience of validating that it's true. None of that external shit matters. None of it is the solution. Because none of your friends who have great, healthy, long-lasting relationships went and studied those external things to get there. Oh, Jane is so lucky. She just has a great guy. Well, Jane didn't go focus on all the external, what are three locations to meet the man? Like, she didn't need to do it. Because she was healthy emotionally inside. Where she maybe was lucky was in her upbringing and in what she went through emotionally gave her a healthy template already. Yes, yeah. What I do with people who want to get back out there is I give them the external actions like a dog needs a bone to chew on to occupy their mind and satisfy them so that they're happy and they're in action and they're doing things so they feel good. So that's the peanut butter around the pill. And then the the actual medicine that they need is us doing the inner work. Mm. The inner work of where they're not being. And how could they see this isn't what they do, right? This is what I do. Where they can't see how being excluded in their family at five affects why they go to a social gathering and don't meet a great guy where they can't see how the fact that some man crossed boundaries with them at 11 years old mm. if I, when they're out at a grocery store they can't make eye contact and flirt mm. they they don't always have that ability in real time now even though they probably do have a wise, deep knowing and understanding that these are connected, it's so painful, we don't look at it daily. Mm-hmm. So look, a client, a client in San Francisco had gone yeah. several years with no dates. So of course, she came in with the, the standard questions. Where do I go to meet men? Like these kinds. And I gave her the external stuff because first I have to help people discover that despite having the right external answers, it doesn't do anything for them. Mm-hmm. So she's 
around all these great guys and still not able to get dates or so oh why do you think that is it's like so now we get to delve under right it's like hmm right we get to now she's more invested and willing yeah. into looking at the inner and then as we look in the inner there was some lack of safety and emotional boundary stuff with her and that that we did some deep work this is where it can start to really overlap with a lot of therapeutic stuff right therapy yeah. and so we did some deep healing work i've you know different modalities inner freedom superconductivity um, inner child an auditorium integration exercise all sorts of different things there's lots of modalities to use mm. this person who just didn't have time was too busy i just haven't made it out this week i don't know where to go to meet like she had all these external excuses she had three dates within the next week gosh yeah yeah well, I met her. like it's not magic it's because the inner part of you is committed to protecting you from what it believes will harm you. But yeah, what that makes a lot of sense. I really like your approach, and it's kind of looking inwards and and making sure you're in a good place and and doing that work. I really like that. And then I help the person connect the dots. So why is it you think you met those people this week? What's different? How did tell me how you met? Oh, is that the grocery store? And look, oh, so when he made eye contact, you didn't look away this time. Why not? I don't know. I was comfortable. Oh, you used to feel uncomfortable, like too visible, exposed, right? Mm -hmm. Unsafe. Uncomfortable is unsafe. It's another word for it. Another challenge with working with powerful women, people, period, and this was my identity too. I had a client, one of my yeah. people who's very successful in a relationship now too, and she said, I never, ever would have used the description, I don't feel safe, ever, she said, because my identity is I'm a strong woman. But I realized through our work that that strong identity was a response to my little girl growing up feeling unsafe. So I made a choice to build up this strong woman and be excited. But that little scared girl was still in there underneath mm -hmm. it. Right? So we can have what seem like paradoxical stuff going on. I'm independent. I'm strong. So why do I act so needy and dependent when I fall in love with a guy like these kind of things? that are just self-contradictory, unsuccessful in every other area, but with men I act differently, mm. that sort of stuff. And that's a pretty, so anyone listening, like if you have that, the why did I do that? Are telling yourself not to be a way that you are still being or not wanting to be like your mom, even though you love her and you're ending up doing, it looks different, but it's the same. Any of those incongruities, there's subconscious stuff you haven't dealt with. You have a conscious mind telling you one thing, but your subconscious is like, nah, we have our own blueprint that kept us safe growing up. And I don't care if it's harming your dating life now or harming your relationships now. Mm. And lots of people, I suppose, these days do internet dating, don't they? That's the thing that I hear lots of people who I see, that's, that's the way people are dating these days. And I, I think that's... I have, I know some people it works really well for, and some people have disaster after disaster, so, right. yeah. which yeah, I yeah. hear a bit more commonly, actually. If someone was considering this, is there any key advice you'd give how women, people can ensure their safety and make it go a bit better? So, I mean, we could, honestly, we, we could and should do like a full, whole hour on oh this gosh, at some point. Yeah. I used to be very against using apps and yeah. internet for data. Remember, you know, I've been doing this a decade, so 10 years ago. I've changed stances slightly, right. but I have not changed my reasoning at all. Mm. And my reasoning for it was and still is this. 
we as human beings like to avoid our discomfort. Absolutely. So anytime we cannot deal with our real issues and find a way around them, we tend to. So internet dating became something that if we were unhealed, here's what I saw happening. Going on there because it's easier to meet lots of guys, right? So here, yeah. here are the problems people used it to cover up. You've got a completely imbalanced overwork schedule in your life. You don't have a real life. You're not balanced. You're not healthy. You don't take time to go to yoga or anything. You don't see friends. Like, you're just, you are imbalanced and overbooked. So I don't have time for a relationship, girl. Yeah. So it's like so, a shortcut that doesn't work. It's a yeah. hack. And then you get this relationship in that it's like a plant you're not going to water. Mm-hmm. So it's it does you a disservice. Or uh, social anxiety. Like, we got to work on, I feel self-esteem, self-worth. I'm not, I feel safe. I'm more than good enough. Hi there, Fred. Right? Like a client that I had that was like, I'm, I'm so confident right until I'm actually attracted to a guy. I can't, you know, I laugh nervously and I break eye contact if I'm actually into him. Well, we need to work on that. But she loved online because it didn't happen. She could avoid her unhealed anxiety. But that insecurity was going to bite her in the ass when it came time to actually be in a relationship or meet the guy. So the avoidance of our discomfort was something that online did well. It also gave us reassurance of our fear that we would never meet the person because there were millions of them here. I rolled so deep into the studies at that time, just a few things that didn't thrill me when I dug into it, looking at some stuff from Match.com, eHarmony, and some of these ones, and not to name any of them specifically to attribute what I'm going to share, but I looked at a whole bunch of them, right? Mm. And there were ones where staff, psychiatrists, psychologists, people they brought in to consult were like, we don't make money if you meet your soulmate and leave. We want to incentivize you to keep playing. Think about that. Think yeah, about I've never even considered that before. It's not in their interest, is it? It's like, we don't want you to come on for one week and be gone. Like, you're our revenue stream. Keep playing. Yeah. So, you know, you think about that and you're like, well, fuck. That is, that's who I want to be finding my soulmate. It's the person who it's, it's a conflict of interest for them to find my soulmate effectively. And look, that's not, it wasn't their sole focus. They did also do a lot of good things. But the other thing is study after study in psychology showed that, the more options we have, the more it makes us indecisive and, and we're willing to invest less and less time, energy, and effort. So mm-hmm. if there are three potential, like my grandmother, okay? Yeah. She got married to my grandfather, stayed with him the rest of her life. I mean, like one of these 50, 60 year, you know, these kind of things. Mm. She was choosing between him and another guy back home in England. Yeah. yeah. And so those choices. But once you have 200,000 or these sites love to brag. They're like 2 million, 20 million guys. It's a like, I look at it and I'm like, you shouldn't be like happy and want to get on that app more. That should make you less inclined to use it because it's like, like a male buddy of mine said about five years ago when I talked to him, he said, Barry, I want to settle down, but you know how many girls there are in this app? And like, I can meet five of them tonight if I want. Yes. Why would I invest more of my time getting to know you, particularly if you're not perfect right away, if I have 100 million other options? So it, it's a tough system. Now, that said, I think over time, more and more and more people who are healthy have gotten onto these because it's gotten more acceptable and mainstream. There's less social yeah. stigma. So before where it was mainly people who didn't have a healthy enough real life to get out and meet mm-hmm. people. 
They were using it to compensate for issues they were avoiding instead of fixing. Now we have more and more people that are somewhat in that realm of they have a life and they use it more appropriately. Appropriate yeah. to me means it is not the primary way you meet people. No. Most of your dates are coming from apps and online. You're doing it wrong. You haven't built a real life. Go build a social circle. Go get out and meet people. Go do things with the friends that you're cultivating friendships with, right? Mm -hmm. When you're getting dates in real life, hey, I met a guy at the grocery store. Like these things are happening. Mm -hmm. And you add dating. Now you're not reliant on it. You're not going to overinvest and be overly attached to it, right? Yeah. What I found online dating does, tell me if you agree with us, mm. all it's gonna do is take whatever issues you have been experiencing with men in relationships or women, depending who you're dating, whatever yeah. experiences you've been having, it amplifies them. That makes an awful lot of sense. I mean, I really, I keep thinking about the work Breeny Brown does about really um, allowing vulnerability and being as authentic as you can be to create really good connections with people. And that's that's not going to come on day internet dating, is it, as much? It can. It can. But again, if you're showing up already to compensate for something you are avoiding yes. developing yeah. in yourself and looking yeah. at, oh, I'm shy. It's easier. To, then you're going you're gonna to have a fucked up relationship. Sorry. Yeah. It's going to become some imbalanced thing because you're going on there not quite in a healthy, balanced, equal, empowered way. Mm. And so you're going to attract that. It's not to say, look, that's not to call introverts and shy the same thing, by the way. A lot of us, I'm an introvert who has kind of learned extroversion, but I wouldn't call it shy, right? If we yeah. associate any discomfort, there's a difference in choosing, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I rebuild my energy well when I can kind of go into my cave and I write and I do some, that's chosen as opposed to avoidant, right? Like yeah. I'm just stressed in a room with so many people, like that's a little different. So yeah, I know people who can go online in a healthier way. So some of the things they'll typically do is I'll be like, you're only checking your messages once a day. You're on there for two weeks and you're going to put right in your profile, hey, I'm only on here for a couple of weeks and I'm going to take a break for a couple of months and then I'll be back. It's like it's kind of like starting a little side business to um, add augment your income, but it's not your main salary. Good way to think. <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. And, and you've been married for, um, is it about 16 years, you were saying, at the start? I've been, I've been with Anna for, yeah, over 15, going on 16 come June. And look, we've had our own journey, right? That's yes. a journey that's had its own flux of closer, further, closer, further, right? So it's not been a journey of perfection, mm -hmm. right? Which is another thing, and Esther talks about that all the time, this idea that we just have a perfect mate and the relationship's perfect is a fantasy, too. But we've we've worked and I expect that we'll spend the rest of our lives together, though I'm not attached to it having to work out that way. I'd prefer it and she'd prefer it because we're very in love and I think we're better meant for each other than anyone else we've encountered, honestly. But we also both have a deep awareness that we're healthy enough as human beings. Let me put it this way. Yeah. There's a movie Hitch, right? And of course yes. I like it. It's like he was Will Smith as like a dating coach kind of thing. Yeah, I remember, yeah. <laughs> and my favorite scene in that is he meets the woman he ends up with. Yeah. And what does he do in the scene, right? He he goes in and she's like, oh, now's where you're going to ask for my number kind of thing. And it's like, and if she doesn't give it to him, right, they're kind of playing it out, talking in third person, yeah. like, and maybe she gives him the number. And she goes, and if she doesn't, and then she does the typical thing we've been trained to think, which is then he'll be disappointed and it won't work. And like, and they'll go and be lonely. And he's like, no, I don't think so. He's like, 
They'll both go their own ways and they'll both be just fine and they'll have great lives. It's like, oh, it's not like, please work because if I don't get this relation, it's like, why? We're completely capable of self-love, self-care, self-sufficiency and sharing all this great emotional stuff with people. So Anna and I both know if we weren't together, Mm. we'd be alone as it suited us and we would definitely, I mean, God, we would not, we're both awesome. We would not, we're also both a handful. Trust me, we're not perfect. (laughs) I don't feel awesome as in like, you know, admire us as human beings. We've got plenty of jagged edges. But we both know that we would be with somebody else that would be amazing too at some point, right? Not the intention, unlikely to happen, but that's what's gotten us through the hard times. We have had the moment where we sat and said, if we break up, we're just going to end up right back here in five years, seven years, nine years, sitting across from someone with a different name and a different face, but in the exact same spot we ran away from dealing with in this relation. So let's do this and learn with each other. So we're both committed to individually looking at ourselves and our growth, but also how do we do that as a team? It's that. Relationships are a crucible for our growth. They can feel like they crucify us at times, right? Yeah. It's such a beautiful university and invitation for us to grow. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. That's really nice. Good overview. And one question I ask people at the end of kind of podcasts is, if you could go back to your 15-year-old self and have a conversation with yourself, what advice or what would you want your younger self to know now? It's like... I bet you could give a good old few lessons to your younger self. Yeah, you know, I think what I would say to him, and it might, you know, honestly, if you ask me tomorrow, it'll be different because I'm in the moment. And I'm going to just speak like I'm speaking right to him, like I would do when I do client kind of, not regression, you would call it maybe regression stuff. But when you talk to the inner child, talk to them like you are speaking to them now in the present. So I'm going to speak right to him. Okay. So I just got to close my eyes and and see him first. I got to see him first. And boy, he was in his glory of his like glasses okay. with the cra- the cracked lens, <laughs> braces, oversized sweatshirt, geeking out, getting his A's, <laughs> playing video games. Aww. I mean, this was, this was, this is 15 year old. Hi there, buddy. He's <laughs> a little, uh, you know, he's a little suspicious of me. He's a teenager. I would just say this to you. I love you. I am not going to spare you any of the experiences you're going to have because you need them, they are perfect for you and they are right for you. So we're not going to change a thing. I have no regrets about who you are, who you were, who we've become. Just know that it works out beautifully and it's gonna be a hell of a ride and a great (laughs) journey. And I'll see you soon. Oh, that's lovely, that's really nice. That's a kind of a common feel. I asked that to all my guests. I actually, I'm really enjoying that question. I didn't know where it would kind of take me, but. I think everybody that goes back to their 15-year-old self sees a real, real struggle and everybody wants to know that they're going to be okay and they can get through it and it's going to be a hell of a ride and, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, my the first inkling to, like, can I tell him something so he doesn't this or the, the, the almost yeah. like a parent protecting a kid instinct. How do I spare them their suffering, right? How do I um, protect them? I was like, no, because he no. everything that's happened to me has led you to where you are, hasn't it? Yeah. So I just offer him the knowing that he's loved during the journey and that there was a purpose to all of it. So when it feels tough, it's okay, even though it doesn't feel good. There's a difference between it's okay and it feels good. 
We mix that up sometimes. Marianne Williamson talks about that sometimes. Like we over, whether it's new age affirmations or actual prescription drugs, we always want to feel good and happy and cheer. It's, we're not meant to. We're not meant to always be in one good mood. So it's okay, even when it doesn't feel great. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a lovely note to end on. Thank you so much, Barry. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. Can you tell if people want to, um, which I'm sure they will do, connect with you, find out more about what you do, and I know you've got a podcast. Can What's the best way to kind of find yeah, out so, and connect with you? I'll, you know, depending on what people like best, yeah. right? I'll give you, I'll give you uh, three ways to kind of okay. explore it. If you're a podcast listener, which I'm guessing you are, if you're hearing this, then you can find me on every podcast platform. My podcast is called Her Healthy Empowered Relationships. Mm-hmm. And just type it in, uh, give it a listen, give it a whirl. I'd, I'd love if you subscribe, if you do find that it's helpful to you, or you can just go through and cherry pick topics that really suit you. If you're more of an Instagram person, I'm on Instagram uh, as Barry Paul Price, right? So you'll find me there. Uh, and finally, you know, if there is anybody, who is out there right now and you've been in pain long enough or disappointment or you're ready and you know that life has to change for you, then I'd say reach out either to Sarah through her contact information if you feel drawn more to to her or if something I've said today makes you feel like I can help you, go to datemennotboys.com slash apply and you can fill out you know a few questions to see if we should get on the phone. Thank you very much, Barry. Lovely talking to you. Thank you. Much love, everybody.